This episode looks at the radical way that Jesus taught his disciples to handle conflict and hostility. It's called The Antidote and was recorded in a Sunday service recently at Trinity Church in Palmerston North. Well, we know that on a good day, the world's a great place to be part of. On a good day, when the sun is shining, you're drinking good coffee, might be going for a walk down by the river, or the other day when we were up in Auckland and some of my favourite things all came together. Uh, We were visiting our family. Uh, They just had a brand new baby after trying for so long. And then we all went to the beach. It was a beautiful day. We were walking down uh, the beach at Piha. It was just such a fantastic day. Uh, Rufus was only uh, a week old. I I was keen to get him in the water for a surf, but he was more keen on sleeping. So, but it's a good day. On a good day, life is wonderful, but not every day is a good day. And sometimes we have some tough days. And sometimes when you look in the world around us, there are some bad things going on. People are in conflict with each other. Nations are at war and people are suffering. Obviously, we've seen the result of that in Christchurch on Friday. We saw that played out in front of our eyes where innocent people getting around their daily business for no other reason than their religious belief were gunned down. That's a bad day. And it's like this beautiful world where you can have beautiful moments also is infected by a sickness. And that can turn good days into bad days so easily. And into this reality, into a world like this, without the technology... I guess, but into a world like this comes Jesus and he goes up a mountain and he teaches a whole different way to live. And it's like he was bringing the antidote to the troubles that the world is in. It's like the world has been infected with a sickness that creates misery and suffering, even in the midst of beauty and peace. And it's like Jesus came to inject an antidote into something that was sick, which has the potential to make it better and whole again. And so today I want to talk a little bit about some of his words from Matthew 5, where he talks about the antidote to this kind of stuff. The crazy thing about this message is I was safely in my office preparing this message on Friday, where, unbeknownst to me, Something terrible was happening down in Christchurch. I just couldn't believe it when I turned the news on when I got home. So we're going to read from Matthew 5. Jesus went up a mountain and he's preaching and we've had a number of different messages recently that have referred to this message. And he's up a mountain and he's preaching. It's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about kingdom life and he's talking about a whole new way of living and a whole new set of values that he was bringing into the earth, which is very much the antidote to the sickness that is going on. So we're going to read from verse 38 down through to verse 48 in Matthew 5. He says this, you've heard that the law says that the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court 
and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that is such a challenging passage. Sometimes we could wish Jesus hadn't said stuff like this because it is so challenging and difficult to grapple with at times in our lives. But, so we're just going to work through it and have some reflections about this and see how we get on. He starts off talking about the Mosaic Law. He challenges a whole lot of different situations. He starts off taking the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law for the Jewish people who he was primarily speaking to was the very foundation of their faith and the foundation for the way they governed the nation. The way they did almost every aspect of their lives was governed by the Mosaic Law. So it was sacred and it was central to their whole nation and their basis of faith. And now he is, and he's saying, well, the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, someone injures your eye, you injure their eye. Someone knocks out your tooth, you take out their tooth. Exactly how you've been injured, you in cold blood go and injure them in exactly the same way. He's saying that's the basis of the Mosaic law in, in regards to this particular area at least. And he's saying, but I'm bringing something different. I'm saying something different to that. That was radical. That could have got him, that could have got him crucified talking about this kind of stuff because he was saying, I'm bringing you something different. I'm bringing you a different way to live from that which has governed your life as a nation for so many years. And he said, I'm telling you this. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, then offer them the other also. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, then offer them the other also. So we're presuming then the right cheek, it's a, kind of a, it's a kind of an insult to get someone, if you slap them on the right cheek, it's generally a backhanded slap. It's an insult. It's kind of like saying you are less than, you are, I despise you, it's sort of away with you, you just slap them on the right cheek. It's a very insulting thing to do. It might not it's not going to knock your teeth out, maybe. It's not going to injure you. You're probably not going to have to go to A&E, or ED is it now, to get patched up again. But you are going to be deeply, deeply offended. And according to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you kind of, you kind of assert yourself and you slap them back again. And then they slap you back harder and you slap them back harder and, they, and you end up in a monstrous fist fight and in the end you are going to ED with teeth missing and you know, ribs broken and everything else because you've got into a massive fist fight on the street. And he's saying, I'm bringing a different way to handle a situation like this. Offer them the other cheek. That seems like even that, even the beginning of this, can be hard for us to get to grips with and to work it out. Because it can seem like Jesus is saying, just be a victim, just roll over, just to take it. And I don't think 
Jesus is saying to be a victim. There's no, there's no sense that Jesus ever felt like, acted like, behaved like a victim. And I don't think there's any situation where he tells us we should just be like victims. Someone hits us and we just want to be nice to them. Oh, please like me. Please like me. I'll just be, I'll just, I'll do anything you say. I don't think he's, I don't think he's talking about being a victim because Jesus knew how to challenge people. He knew how to be assertive. He, he, even in this speaking here, he's talking to a crowd. They could have got enraged and on many occasions they tried to kill him and take him out for the kind of teaching that he was bringing. So there was nothing about Jesus. But it seems to me that he's saying, don't fire, don't fight fire with fire, because that just doesn't seem to work. It only escalates the situation. I mean, if you look at the whole situation with what happened on Friday, where, where, where did that start? Goodness knows where that started, but it was an act against, it was an act against people worshiping in a mosque. And so somewhere or other, whether it starts off with a Muslim being offended or a Christian being offended or someone being offended and the other person taking retribution and then the other person takes retribution then the other one takes retribution and the whole thing escalates over, over the years. And uh, groups like ISIS, they show videos online to show injustice against Muslims in order to radicalize young men and women to rise up and take revenge on those that have victimized them. And now we see someone from the extreme right rising up to take vengeance on the Muslims. And it just escalates and escalates. And what can start off as a maybe a small offense just builds over a period of time, weeks and months and years and decades and generations and um, hundreds and hundreds of years, and you end up with carnage. And he's saying there is a different way to handle this rather than just to escalate the situation. It seems like he's teaching people to be proactively kind when people upset you or offend you. Be proactively kind. Now, it may be a major offense, and that, you know, if someone's offended you, you know, that's difficult to get over. I mean, some of you are so saintly, you do that with ease. Sometimes I've struggled with this. When someone has upset me or I feel that like they've injured me in some way, I've really had to work at this thing of, uh, of learning to forgive and let it go and be kind. And sometimes you have to work at it, and sometimes it comes really easily. But it seems like that's what Jesus is saying. But sometimes we can get offended by, by little things. Have you ever stood in a supermarket queue and it says uh, maximum 12 items and someone's in front of you and you're, and you're counting the items in their cart? Have you done that? I've done that. I count the items in their cart. And I, and I go, oh, no, it's only 11. It's all right. You know, but like if someone should have the temerity to have 13 items in the cart, I wouldn't say anything. But I kind of feel like, oh, they shouldn't be in this queue. And you sort of can take offense so easily in life. And people get so easily offended with one another. And Jesus is saying, we've got to pull back from that. We've got to pull back from that. When we feel insulted, whether it's a major thing or whether someone's got too many items in the cart, pull back from the offense. It's, it's just not worth escalating because the reason we've got problems in the world today is because little things escalate into big things. And he's saying there's an antidote to that. Instead of taking offense and taking revenge, just why don't you just let it go and be kind? Why don't you be proactively nice to somebody instead? Second thing he goes into, 
because he's talking about the law, he goes into a civil court situation. He's talking about someone suing you. And the judgment from the judge is that you lose your shirt. And he says, instead of just getting mad and counter-suing and trying to take revenge, just, just be proactively kind and generous. You say, I have my coat as well. There's something about this that disarms the whole situation. He's not saying be a victim, but he's saying be proactively generous in these situations. And see, Jesus said that no wonder they tried to kill him because this is challenging stuff for the way that we operate on a daily life. And sometimes it takes some thinking through how do we handle, if we're going to take this on board and take this seriously, how do we actually work that out in practical things in our lives? Because we, don't, we, we think, well, we shouldn't be a victim. We should be proactively kind. But what does that look like on the ground? And that takes, a little bit of, that takes a little bit of thought, and it is quite challenging. The third situation he talks about is an occupying force. He talks about a soldier asking you to carry his stuff one mile. The, the, the nation was overrun by Roman soldiers, and they were completely uh, allowed to ask you to carry your stuff for a mile. But I believe they were not allowed to ask you to carry their stuff any more than that. So the occupying force, those that were in control, those that were in power, had certain rights, and they could, any soldier could say, here, carry my stuff for a mile. And you'd have to carry his, I don't know what he was carrying, carrying all his stuff. You know, you got swords and spears and stuff and food and what they get they got used to get paid in salt a big bag of salt you know, you, you know they get you know you're carrying this stuff and it's a hot day and you got to carry it a mile and you think man i was you know i was going to go visit my sister and we were going to sit down and have a nice cup of tea and catch up on life and i had my day planned and now the soldiers come along and said carry my stuff i didn't want to do it but i've been compelled to do it and you're walking along for your mile you could be getting resentful you're steaming you're wondering whether you could grab his sword because you're carrying his sword you're wondering whether you could grab that and and whether you could run it through his middle and bury him on the side of the road and would anyone notice and would i get away with and you're resentful 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 you get to the other side and you think man you get together with with your sister when you finally get there and with the friends and with the family and everybody else and you're starting to simmer and fume and, and uh, resentment is starting to well up inside of you. You're talking about how can you get your own back? How can you deal to them? And Jesus says, no, 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 bring the antidote into that situation. Say to the Roman soldier, hey, I'll carry it a second mile if you like. Be proactively <laughs> kind, proactively generous. This is pretty radical stuff. It was radical in Jesus' day, and it's pretty radical in ours as well. And in a world that's dominated by greed and power, and where things so easily end up in conflict of different kinds, Jesus offers an antidote, a different way to respond. If you're slapped and then slap them back harder, the situation only escalates. But Jesus says, when you're slapped, do something revolutionary. Offer them the other cheek. If someone sues you, instead of getting back to them, do something revolutionary. Give them more than they sued you for. If you're forced to go a mile, do something revolutionary and of your own free will choose to go two miles. You're not fighting back, but neither are you being a victim. You're being proactively kind. And somehow, this subverts the whole system of power and control. A little more about that later. 
And then he goes on, and then this is just like, it seems to me like he's going over the top here. We need to stop and talk about this. He says, give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So <laughs> that seems like you just give to anyone who asks you. So, so I wonder here, how, how do we apply something like that? How far, how far do we, we take that? So you're walking through Palmerston North somewhere, and uh, someone asks you for $10. And you know they're just going to spend that on drugs or alcohol. They say something like, mm, my mother's in hospital in Wellington. I need $10. I've got to get a bus to get down there. But you know, because you've had 100 other people say the same thing to you. And you know that they're just wanting the money for some drugs and some alcohol. It's their way of, of, of gathering some extra money for, to, to feed their habit. So do you give them the money? So what, so you tell me, what, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? You give them the bus ticket? You're shaking your head? No. So what, why would you or why wouldn't you give them some money in that situation? I think he's saying, where you see need, we should be motivated to try to help. Where we see need, we should be motivated to help. If someone is genuinely hungry, we should not be turning away from them and saying, that's your problem, pal. We should be motivated to help other people. I think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying we should feed someone's drug habit. I don't think he's saying that. And so I feel quite comfortable to say no, because I think I'm doing them a favor by not feeding them there. Anyone have a chainsaw? Anyone have a prize chainsaw? I'll grant you will. Oh, Blake. Okay, so I say, Blake, hey, Blake, hey, Blake, I got a pile of wood I want to chop up, and uh, can I borrow your chainsaw? And he's like, you know, chainsaw? Like, you know, chainsaws are tricky. And then he lets me have the chainsaw, and then I go away, and I hand it back to him, and then it doesn't work because... I wrecked it because I wasn't lubricating the chain or I wasn't doing something right. And I hand it back to him. And Blake goes, oh, man, he's wrecked my chainsaw. I had to spend, you know, I've got to go buy a new chainsaw. So he goes, it was his prize. What is it? Do you have a still? What do you, what do you have? Oh, one of each. A still and a what? A still and a Husqvarna. He, he's in a multi-chainsaw family, this guy. He's got chainsaws to burn. And uh, any chainsaw with a, just, if you ever need to borrow a chainsaw, he's your guy. So, uh, so sorry, sorry, sorry. So, so what happens? I reckon so he has to go out and buy a new still. And, and it cost him, what does it cost? I don't know, what's a, what is it? 2300 I was going to say 1000 I thought I might be exaggerating. 2300 So he spends 2300 and he's got, his, he's got his brand new chainsaw. It's his pride and joy. He goes out every morning and he just thanks the Lord for his chainsaw. You know, it's, it's almost an idolatry problem he's got with it. So he's, so he's got his chainsaw there. And I come around again and say, hey, Blake, can I borrow your chainsaw? So what should he say? <laughs> That's a good answer. See, because he's actually, that is very good. That is a cunning answer because he's actually being generous that's almost, we could have teed this up beforehand, but I wouldn't have thought of anything quite so clever. But by saying, by saying, I'll come around and do it for you, he's actually being proactively generous. But he's also being a good steward, because I don't think there's any particular benefit to anyone of just having chainsaw after chainsaw destroyed. 
So I do think that we, that we probably need to be thoughtful and wise about how we apply some of this stuff. But that's not to say that then we just push it aside and say, oh, well, in that case, we just carry on with our normal, selfish uh, way of life. I think we need to take at least, at least the point out of this is that Jesus is saying that we need to help people who are in need. It seems that he's saying there's a different way to live, though, and it's about love. Not the romantic notion of love, but the thing that motivates people to work in the best interests of others. And I find that a helpful guiding principle when I think about what should I do in this situation or that, is I think what's in their best interests and then try and act according to that. I find, I find that helpful, and it kind of clarifies some difficult issues. And he goes on to say, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Now, the tax collectors in their society were the bad guys. We still think of them as the bad guys, I suppose, today, but they're not really. They're just doing their job in the best way they know how. But in those days, they often were corrupt. They had immense power. They could demand tax off people. And so often, they were using the tax that they gathered to line their own pockets, to make themselves wealthy. And so they were despised in their society because they would go along to someone who was just trying to eke out a living as a fisherman or a farmer or a carpenter or doing something else and just trying to get food on the table for their family. And the tax collector who's wealthy and lives in a fabulous home and has got the best of everything comes along and demands that they pay excessive tax and they take that away and instead of that going all to the government it goes also to their own pockets where they where they fund their lavish lifestyle and so they were despised and Jesus is making a point here that when we live our lives what did he say? If you only love those who love you, he's saying, well, even the tax collectors do that. Even those people that you despise and you say are corrupt, even they do that. Even they do that. So he's saying, I want you to go beyond that. I want you to go beyond just loving those who love you. I mean, sometimes we struggle just with loving those with, that love us. Sometimes that for us is our biggest challenge. But he's saying, I'm raising the bar above that. I want you to love those that don't love you as well, those that you might even identify as your enemies and want to work in their best interests and want to pray for their best interests. And again, I find that helpful if I'm praying for someone who's maybe um, is not my biggest fan and maybe done something that's damaged me in my life. I find that helpful if I pray for them to think, what's in their best interests? And I can pray for God's very best for them and do that with sincerity. And I think that uh, Jesus is calling us to a higher standard because that is the antidote to the world system that causes so much pain. He says, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Even those who don't believe in God are kind to their friends. If you just get in your, if as Christians we just get in our little group, these are the people that we feel comfortable with. These are the people that like us. These are the people that we feel it's our little group, our little holy huddle. We like this. We like these people. Someone else comes along and we don't really want them to be part of our little group because we're just having such a good time in our little group. And so we alienate them 
and then they find some friends who like them and get in their little group, and they're quite happy, and they don't want to... They don't want to open the doors and let anyone into their little group. And then these two groups start to have some jealousies and some animosity between them. And before you know it, you've got conflict and things are getting out of control. And he's saying, don't just be kind and love people who are in your little group. But he's calling us to be bigger than that, to love people who are different from us and might not even like us. He's saying this is the antidote for a world system that is broken. And at the end of it, it's in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, he sums up Jesus' rationale. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. And so he's giving the rationale that God is good to us and kind to us. And then we should reciprocate that to those within our world, whether they be our friends or whether they're not. And somehow it seems... That this is the antidote because there's something about this that undermines the world system. Came across this the other day, a quote from Tim Keller. He said, we're saved by a man who died loving his enemies. I thought that was really interesting. We're saved by a man who died loving his enemies. And for Jesus, his death was not a defeat. When Jesus died, he didn't die as a victim. When Jesus died, it was a proactive act of love that actually overcame the powers of darkness. See, when he died, you could see it two ways. When he died, my father-in-law used to say, oh, Jesus, he's such a good man, but he got crucified. Poor chap, he'd say, poor chap. That somehow the powers of darkness, somehow this world system just gobbled him up and Jesus was somehow weak and just got crucified, and that was the end of it. But Jesus was never a victim, and he was never overcome by darkness. When Jesus died in apparent weakness, he was doing something that actually overcame the powers of darkness. He didn't die as a victim. It was a proactive act of love that overcame the powers of darkness. Something about his apparent weakness subverted the powers of this present darkness. It's talked about in different ways in uh, Paul's writings. Uh, for instance, Colossians 2 says he cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them in the cross. So there was nothing weak about what Jesus was doing. There was nothing about victimhood in what Jesus was doing. He was proactively taking a different course of action that actually overthrew and disarmed the powers of darkness. And the church in Corinth didn't get a hold of this idea very well. Um, Paul says to them, you're just acting like you know, mere men. You're just acting like ordinary human people. You're motivated by normal human desires instead of by 
kingdom principles. And they'd broken down into all sorts of factions within their own church. They were they'd broken down into factions that felt superior to others. We feel superior to you because we're following a different apostle. And, and they were breaking down into factions and criticizing each other and even taking each other to court. And so things were not in good shape inside the church in Corinth. And they were getting offended with each other. And instead of trying to seek reconciliation or to bring forgiveness or to bring a different way, to bring healing, they would just go off to court. I'm going to sue the pants off you. I'll show you, you so-and-so. And so there were all sorts of conflicts within the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 10, um, Paul says this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. And then he points them towards the cross as being the answer. He says in verse 23 and 25, when we preach that Christ was crucified, he said, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. He's saying there is something about following the way of the cross that releases overcoming power. It happened for Jesus. Overcoming power was released from the cross that travels now down through the centuries, forgiving, redeeming, and changing all of those who come to Christ. The word of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. Emanates from an act 2,000 years ago, impacts us today. One act of apparent human weakness has changed our lives and is changing the world. That is absolutely phenomenal. And Paul seems to be pointing these people in Corinth who are being offended with each other, who are fighting fire with fire, who are escalating small offenses and ending up in court. He's pointing them to the cross as the way to subvert this whole world system of jealousy and power and control and vengeance and unforgiveness and the whole infection that has come across the human race. And he's saying there's something in the cross that will bring overcoming power and the power to change. Got to finish. So I guess it's for all of us to think about how this kind of works out in our own lives. How does this work out? and How do we apply it? That is challenging. And I'm not going to give you, and how can we give you all of the answers to every situation? But it's a good thing to think about, good thing to talk about with your friends, maybe a good thing to talk about in small groups. How do we... How do we actually apply this kind of stuff in the, in the detail of daily life when stuff is happening? But at least we can take a hold if we can embrace something of the principle and at least enter into the struggle of thinking, how do I apply this, rather than just marginalizing it. And some people, just some Christians will marginalize the words of Jesus and say, he didn't really mean that. But he obviously did mean that because he says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you're smart, if you're wise, you're going to put these things into practice and you're going to be like someone who builds their house on a rock and when the storms of life come, you're going to stand. So he's saying, I want you to take this seriously because this is a new way to live and you will stand if you follow these things. And so if we can embrace the principle and enter into the struggle and say, at least I need to wrestle with this. What do I do when someone wants to borrow my chainsaw? What do I do when someone's got 13 items in the grocery cart? And I'm agitated because I'm in a hurry. 
what do I do when I'm driving and someone cuts in on me? What do I do when someone offends me in some way? What do I do? And we need to wrestle with those things. But at least as a good starting place is to remember that God loves them. Remember all of those people who've offended you. God loves them and cares about them as much as he loves you and cares about you. And that he's called you. He's called you as one of his disciples to carry the antidote to the very sickness that is causing so much pain around the world. So not only does God love and value them, but you've got the antidote to what's going wrong in the world today. And if we remember those things, I think it will help us in our words and our thoughts and our actions that will actually help to make the world a better place. Let's pray.